much about it now. KRCL 90.9 FM HD1 in Salt Lake City, Ogden, and Provo. 96.7 FM in Park City on the web at krcl.org. Listener supported community radio. If you've made a recent gift to KRCL, you might be able to double your donation with one simple email to HR. Businesses like REI, Dominion Energy, and Home Depot offer matching programs. See if your employer will match your gift at krcl.org. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. The following show was pre-recorded. This is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones. Coming up on the show tonight, Ogden Contemporary Arts has named its second-ever artist-in-residence, Eric J. Garcia, will be coming to O-Town in March and April of next year. Going to be doing some murals, working with the community, and creating a solo art show. Stick around for his take on colonial and historical aliens. In our Shop and Give local spotlight tonight, the Utah Investigative Journalism Project. You're going to want to stick around for this. Eric Peterson will be joining us to talk about their work with public records, helping folks who need to expunge evictions, and also a recent story shining a light on the worker shortage that reporter Dan Harry says is putting Utah's prison in crisis. All of that coverage made possible by a nonprofit, the Utah Investigative Journalism Project. But first, a couple of stories from our partners with RIMCOR, the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Network, and some rallies and resources. Go to krcl.org and click on the Community Affairs tab. Follow along with me if you would like. Several holiday drives going on in our community. Please feel free to send me any info about one that uh, I don't have. Radioactive at krcl.org. I'll put it in the list. But on the Rallies and Resources page at the top, I've collected a bunch of the drives from the Utah Tribal Relief Foundation, Uprock and Art Space Bridge Project, their Christmas drive, Keith McDonald of Friday Night Fallout involved in that one, the Eccles Winter Clothing Drive benefiting Volunteers of America, Candy Cane Lane at YWCA Utah, and to those of you just wrapping up your drive up and drop off at the city and county building in downtown Salt Lake, thank you for contributing some warm winter clothing and blankets to the Salt Lake City Mayor's Office Clothing Drive. That one held this afternoon with Catholic Community Services of Utah, which is always taking your donations. Coming up Saturday, December 17th, it's a winter solstice celebration, 9 a.m. to noon at Red Butte Garden in their Orangery. On Monday at the State Capitol, 6 p.m., the Coalition of Religious Communities, Crossroads Urban Center, and Powerful Moms Who Care will be hosting a teddy bear rally and diaper and formula drive. They're asking you to show your support for the 100-plus Utah children that have been turned away from shelter because there are not enough beds for all the families in need right now. Grace Cunningham and Tamara White from Powerful Moms Who Care were on earlier this week talking about this. You can bring a teddy bear to symbolize a child who is waking up in a car or tent this Christmas morning. And they'll also be collecting diapers of any size and baby formula for Crossroads Urban Center's emergency food pantries. And then Wednesday next week, 5.30 p.m. at Pioneer Park, it is the Homeless Person's Candlelight Vigil held by 4th Street Clinic to remember and honor homeless persons who have died in Salt Lake City this last year, and also by shining a light, hoping to prevent additional loss of life or suffering caused by homelessness through this advocacy. 
All of those events and more can be found on the Rallies and Resources page of krcl.org. Earlier today, I sat in on a press conference for you from Intermountain Healthcare, an update on the spike in respiratory illness at Primary Children's at Utah Hospitals. They're all renewing their calls for everybody to do their best and uh, stay healthy this winter. Get those vaccines because as influenza and COVID cases spike and an unseasonal wave of RSV continues in Utah, more adults and kids are requiring hospitalization and acute care. And that, folks, is straining already stretched resources at Intermountain Healthcare hospitals and clinics across the state. So the first doctor giving us the lay of the land here is Dr. Per Jesteland, pediatric hospitalist at University of Utah Health and Intermountain Primary Children's Hospital. So yeah, I just wanted to give the community an update about what we've been experiencing in the healthcare community. So uh, our communities in, uh, throughout Utah have been getting hit very hard with a variety of highly transmissible infectious diseases these last several weeks. Several respiratory viruses, most notably RSV and influenza, and to a lesser extent, COVID-19, have been spreading rapidly and widely throughout our communities. This has led to a dramatic surge in the number of patients presenting with acute respiratory illnesses to our healthcare facilities. The surge has been so large that it's been placing a great deal of strain on our healthcare delivery system, including primary and acute care clinics, our emergency rooms, our inpatient wards, and our intensive care units. That strain been particularly dramatic at the facilities uh, that care for children, like my facility, primary children. So our flagship (laughs) children's hospital up here on the hill uh, and our community pediatric hospital units have been operating near, at, or above capacity for uh, several weeks now. And while it appears that we may be through uh, the worst of our RSV epidemic, which we think maybe peaked in the last few weeks, um, and that <laughs> outbreak really fueled record breaking volumes of ED visits, inpatient and ICU stays, um, we, we still remain very, very busy. And with our current extremely high influenza activity, um, our facilities that are caring for adults are also starting to strain, and Dr. Sheffield will speak more to that. Um, so the fact that we're heading into the depths of winter and the holiday get-together season with this level of uh, community transmission of a host of things, RSV, flu, COVID-19, some parainfluenza, some seasonal coronavirus, some strep throat, um, that's kind of deeply concerning to those of us that um, provide health care in the state. Uh, so I uh, wanted to get the word out there in hopes that people can um, be motivated to take care of themselves and their loved ones and do their part to prevent the spread of illness. Thank you. So as Dr. Jesslin said, um, these respiratory viruses have seriously affected our children, but it's not just our children that are getting these infections. Our adults as well are seeing record cases of influenza, COVID, and adults do get respiratory syncytial virus um, with almost the same number of hospitalizations each year for respiratory syncytial virus as we see for influenza. And um, right now our Hospitals are at about 90% capacity in our ICUs. Um, Our clinics are uh, full as well as our Instacares. And I've I've heard actually this this situation that's happening with respiratory virus is being called a a blizzard because you've got this storm of of RSV, you've got a storm of influenza happening and a storm of COVID all happening at the same time. And so we really are seeing an extraordinary um, amount of uh, infections circulating within the community. 
And it's, it's not just putting a strain on the, um, the health system, but also on the medications we use to treat individuals. Uh, because of the changes in the strains um, in the new variants for um, COVID, our monoclonal antibody therapies are not no longer or are very limited in terms of working for um, treating patients. And so we are um, needing to use antivirals. And when we have to shift the amount of of use to just a, a specific set of, of, of um, medications, supplies become a concern. And the CDC has just issued for influenza um, and the, the antivirals that are used to treat for influenza guidance about prioritization of, of these limited supplies because we are seeing um, reduced um, amounts nat nationwide in terms of our, our supplies. And that's actually critically hit some of our children because the way that uh, the the children's formulation um, has become very difficult to get for the um, Oseltamivir or Tamiflu. And so we're actually going into our stockpile and reformulating adult doses um, that can be used with children. So um, when we have limited treatments, lim limitations in terms of um, helping people who have the illness, really our best strategy here is prevention. And the way to prevent resp these respiratory infections is through vaccination. We have a vaccine that is closely matched um, to the current circulating influenza A strain. That is the one that's happening in our environment. Um, we have uh, so we we have a, a good matched vaccine that will help prevent disease and those future the further complications such as hospitalization. This has been an unusual influenza season. It has hit much earlier and it is much higher nationwide and here in Utah as well. Right now, the numbers that we're seeing um, of, of positive tests are about what we usually see in the peak times of February and uh, January and February that we have each year. So we are in our, our peak and actually higher than peak numbers um, nationwide. And what, and so we have a great influenza vaccine. We also have the new bivalent Omicron booster that we've been using for several months. Um, and it has just recently this last week been approved to the last group of individuals, those, those young children ages six months through four years for Pfizer, six months through five years for the Moderna vaccine. They can now get a bivalent vaccine. It's a primary series for Pfizer. It's the third dose of a primary series. And it's the a booster dose for those who've received the um, primary series of the, the Moderna. So we've got a COVID vaccine, we have an influenza vaccine, and there actually is um, development going on for an adult version of a respiratory syncytial virus vaccine, but it's not anticipated to be coming out until towards the end of 2023. So we're looking forward to that. It's not going to help us this year. The other th ways we can protect ourselves, the other ways we can prevent um, are tried and true, we've been doing this through the COVID um, pandemic. And actually the CDC for the first time has put out recommendations to be masking in public. Um, so when you're in a lar large group, large crowds, masking is a great strategy um, to help prevent transmission, uh, making sure that we are, uh, when we are ill, we are not um, going out into public, we're not gathering with our families. We need to make sure we stay home, don't go to work when you are ill. Uh, hand washing and um, cleaning surfaces and making sure you cover your cough. All of these types of things that we know are great ways to prevent respiratory illnesses from spreading. 
they they are working and need to work for us right now. So preventing through vaccines, preventing through our, our good hygiene um, skills that we have, we are just encouraging you, please do those um, steps and please encourage the public to do them so that uh, we can not become overwhelmed within the healthcare system and we um, will have enough medications to treat people. Dr. Tamara Sheffield, Medical Director for Preventive Medicine at Intermountain Healthcare, and her colleague, Dr. Per Jesteland, Pediatric Hospitalist at University of Utah Health and Intermountain Primary Children's Hospital, spelling it out for you folks as we head into these holiday gatherings. Take care of your health and those of your loved ones, your friends, and your community. Now a couple of stories from Rocky Mountain Community Radio Network, which KRCL is now part of. Inflation in America reached a 40-year high this year, hitting consumer products like gas and groceries. And food banks across the country report a growing demand for food-related assistance. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Molly Marcello from KZMU reports on one local pantry serving the Moab community in southeast Utah. About 20 cars are queued up outside St. Francis Episcopal Church on Cane Creek Boulevard. It's a Friday afternoon, and each vehicle moves steadily to the front of the church, where volunteers are buzzing around. And right now, Kenyon is getting how many people they're picking up for, and then it goes to uh, our priest, Father Dave, and he's putting grocery bags of food in the back seat or in the back end of the pickup. That's Phil Irby, who was working this line until I asked him to describe how this weekly food pantry operation works. The church just got more supplies from the Utah Food Bank, so the bags today are pretty full. Uh, Today we have pork roasts and eggs and potatoes and apples and uh, dishwasher detergent, croissants that are frozen and have to be cooked. It's just whatever we can whatever comes around. St. Francis has run this pantry for over three years now, and Irby says they serve between 800 to 1,000 people a month. The food is meant to help supplement a week's worth of supplies, free up some finances so locals can use it for other needs, like more groceries, rent, or other things. There was a lady who came in and she said, uh, I can't afford groceries, but what you're doing is helping us out, and now I'm able to be able to let my kids participate in sports activities so I can pay the fees so that they can do sports. Dave Sackerson, the priest in charge at St. Francis. People will still know him as Mayor Dave, a position he served in for, as he says, 16 glorious years. But even before his mayoral tenure, Sackerson started out in the grocery business. I know what things cost and everything else, and I can't believe how much food is right now. According to the Consumer Price Index, basics like eggs, potatoes, fruit, and veggies have risen well over 10% since last year. Jeanette Bott is the CEO of Utah Food Bank. She told the Public News Service this fall that people are turning to food pantries for the first time in their lives. Now we're seeing people that are coming to us for need for food who, one, have never asked before, two, have jobs and are pretty stable. And three, the inflation now is the issue that seems to be impacting those families they've never had to help before. The Utah Food Bank drops supplies to St. Francis every month. Last year, that amounted to 100,000 pounds of food for the pantry. 
but it's still not enough to run the program week to week. I've got 75 pounds of hamburger in the back of my truck right now that I just bought today. Sackerson says they do receive help beyond the Utah Food Bank. They get donations and volunteers from other local faith groups and community organizations. And there's always the oddball giver out there. It really touches my heart. I mean, some guy walked in here yesterday, slapped a bunch of money in my hand. He says, put it to good use. And I'd never seen the guy before in my life. I mean, it's just absolutely phenomenal. I, I just think people, people see a need. People see a need. And uh, hopefully we're building some of that need. Well... We're a community of 5,000, and we're putting food out for 1,000 people a month. Phil Irby again. As we speak, the line of cars has thinned out a bit. The big first-hour rush is over, but people are still queuing up to grab food bags. This is, this is a community that has lots and lots of service jobs, cleaning bathrooms and changing sheets and in the back cooking hamburgers and all of that kind of stuff. We're going into the winter when people are getting laid off or getting a half time. So yeah, there's there's ongoing need for this. The food pantry at the Episcopal Church of St. Francis is open every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. No questions asked. People can walk, bike, or drive up. If you're hungry, they say, just come. And the Grand County Food Bank is also available locally. That's run through the Southeast Utah Association of Local Governments on Tuesdays and Thursdays. For KZMU News, I'm Molly Marcello. The Navajo Nation Police Department has received numerous missing persons reports that they've traced to addiction treatment centers in Arizona. Now they are warning tribal communities about recruiters. For KSUT Tribal Radio, Crystal Ashkey has more. It all started one Monday morning when Navajo Nation Police Sergeant Roland Ash looked at the rest log after the weekend. And we usually have a lot of um, public and talk to us, right, on a Monday morning uh, over the weekend. And I noticed that we didn't have, we only had one. And I asked the, the sergeant, dude, hey, man, what's going on? We only had one arrest over the weekend. What happened? So he, he says, I don't know. I said, you know what, let's go start. Let's go check. So Sergeant Dash started asking around and heard about a white van coming into Tuba City, Arizona. He was asking everybody if they were hungry. If they wanted a place to stay, they had rehab center that they were, that they were coming out of rehab center out of out of Phoenix area, and that they needed assistance uh, for rehabilitation from alcohol. The recruiters have been reported in various areas like outdoor markets and picking up people on the side of the road, according to a statement published on Facebook by Navajo Nation Police Department on November 17. Soon, families started to report their loved ones missing. So we started getting calls on uh, missing persons. Sergeant Dash began looking into different sober homes or group homes after a family member of a missing person told him their brother went to a recovery treatment center in Phoenix, Arizona. Sergeant Dash spoke with the individual over the phone. He explained he willingly went with the recruiters, but the police department's Facebook post from November 17 said some people had experienced difficulty returning to the Navajo Nation. Sergeant Dash says this is an ongoing problem. Right now, it's a constant thing. Of these guys showing up here and taking these individuals down. In a separate Facebook post from October 26, Carol Walletto, a community member, warned people about a couple from Blue Sapphire Group Home showing up at Window Rock, Arizona's outdoor market and recruiting people. Tribal Radio contacted the Blue Sapphire Group Home about their business, 
and why they were in Winderock, Arizona. A woman who identified herself as Justine apologized and said she was not involved because she had no Navajo clients and then hung up. Sergeant Dash is now working with other law enforcement agencies to investigate any possible criminal activity to ensure the safety of Navajo communities. I made contact with uh, FBI on this whole thing. I made contact with my superiors on, on everything that's going on. I provided them with information. I made contact with CI, our criminal investigator here in Tuba City. Oh, wow, what's going on here? The Navajo Nation Police Department is advising community members not to get into vehicles with individuals they do not know, even for a short ride. Sergeant Dash is asking anyone with information to contact the Navajo Nation Police Department or contact the FBI at tips.fbi.gov. For KSUT Tribal Radio, I'm Crystal Ashkey. That story from KSUT Tribal Radio and the one before it from KZMU shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Utah, and now including KRCL. When we come back, Ogden Contemporary Arts announces Eric Garcia as their 2023 Artist-in-Residence. You're going to meet the artist, and you're going to hear from OCA about the cool things that are coming for 2023. And to get us there, here's the band. When I paint my masterpiece on KRCL. Oh, the streets of Rome are filled with The Eccles Theater is partnering with Volunteers of America, Utah, on a winter clothing drive all month long. Warm coats, jackets, sweaters, winter boots, gloves and hats, socks, new and unused underwear, hand and feet warmers, blankets, pajama bottoms and sweatpants, and thermal underwear. All adult sizes are needed, with the greatest need being sizes 2 to 4X. Items can be dropped off at the Women's Resource Center, 131 East, 700 South in Salt Lake City by appointment, or the Eccles Theater. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Share the Love event, a partnership with local charities in delivering hope this holiday season. Learn more and info on how to get involved at markmillersubaru.com. Welcome back to Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. Still to come, Eric Peterson from the Utah Investigative Journalism Project. Earlier today, I had the chance to jump on Zoom and have a conversation about what's coming in 2023 with Ogden Contemporary Arts. Let's pass that microphone. Hello, everyone. I'm Vanessa Castagnoli. I'm the executive director over at Ogden Contemporary Arts. And my name is Eric J. Garcia, and I will be the new artist in residence at the Ogden Contemporary Arts. Thanks so much for giving me some time. And Vanessa, this is not a new program, uh, but uh, it's an incredible program bringing artists to Utah that we otherwise wouldn't necessarily get a chance to meet. So can you just briefly remind our listeners how this program started and your first artist in residence? Yeah, so our pilot program was last year. Uh, Well, technically it was this year, but back (laughs) in in June was when her show opened. Um, So she was here for two months with her family. Yala Ford. Yes, Yala Ford. And this uh, this residency has has been a project of my, like in I've been dreaming of this project since before I got this position at Ogden Contemporary Arts. Um, so in the interview process, this was one of the things I outlined, saying this is what I want to do and this is why I want to do it. And there's just so much value of bringing in these these 
internationally known and recognized artists into Ogden to work alongside our community. Um, it, I think it brings a lot of value. And to top it off, it's it's very family friendly. We encourage artists to bring their families. That's fantastic. So tell us how you settled on Eric J. Garcia. <laughs> so we uh, so our process, we start with a selection committee. So I brought on Maria Del Mar Gonzalez Gonzalez uh, from Weber State and many other projects that I've worked with her on, a curator, educator, wonderful person all around. Uh, Whitney Tassie, who used to uh, be the curator over at UMFA. Uh, Jameson Maddie, who is a director of a really wonderful program called Art Fields in South Carolina. And Lauren Tresp from, um, from New Mexico, the publisher and owner of um, Southwest Contemporary. Um, so the process is that each one of these selection committee uh, members can then send this invite out to their network, artists that they feel would align well with our program, our desires. Um, and one of the most important things on that list is the ability to engage with our community. We don't want an artist to come in here and, you know, just hide in the studio for two months and and not be part of what we're doing here in Ogden um, and to meet all the people and and engage with our youth. And there's just real value there. Um, so they all sent out their invites and we looked at all of them together and we landed on Eric because he has just such a, a wonderful background with uh, education, with engagement, and just he's an amazing artist. <laughs> well, and I'm looking at the bio that you sent over, and Eric, I got to say, all the different mediums you have your fingers in really um, gets me excited for what you'll be doing in the community. Sculpture, mixed media installations, murals, printmaking, and controversial political cartoons. Uh, tell me about your approach. It's very graphic. Um, I, and I think that one of the phrases that's popping out with me is colonial historical aliens. So get into it with us. What are you hoping to do? <laughs> well, first off, I, I appreciate all the, the kind words Vanessa uh, gave to me. Um, I'm honored. I'm excited to be coming to Utah. My family's excited to be coming to Utah. I, I my wife might be even more excited than I am. She's, she's really <laughs> eager to go see something new and to to be with, uh, have some new experiences for our two-year-old. So, so we're really excited to be going out there. Yeah, but I, I like you said, I, I dabble in a lot of different media, and depending what the project is, uh, it kind of dictates what the media is. Um, uh, usually, when I'm working with community, you know, one of the one of my favorite projects to do with community is murals. So I think we're going to hopefully uh, engage uh, the community of Ogden and uh, create some public public art there on the walls. So so that's what I'm hoping to to get to over there. Um, when you're you're asking about the colonial aliens, uh, that's a more recent project that I've been working on while while here at the uh, rare residency, the the Roswell Artisan Residency that I just finished. Uh, a couple of months months back. That's why I'm here in, in Roswell, and uh, and because I was in Roswell and because it's famous for aliens, I thought, I, of course, I have to do a project about aliens. But I was flipping the idea of who we consider alien. If we use that term, this official term of our immigration system, and we put it back in 1492, then we could we can obviously say that that Christopher Columbus was an alien. And then if we spice it up with some uh, uh, pop culture, science fiction, then we can say that there was 
there was truly alien abductions back then. There was truly an alien invasion that happened from an old world to the new world, to use their own uh, colonial terms. Um, so that's the project that I was doing. I was, I was, I was juxtaposing pop culture aliens with colonial historical figures. So I, so I would, I would mix up Alf. Like, I don't know if people remember the old TV show of this this puppet alien they landed in uh, on Earth. Uh, juxtaposed with Christopher Columbus, so things like that. I was I was mixing up things to have a satirical look on on colonialism and who we consider is from here and who is not from here. I'll put one of the photos that I was sent in our show notes tonight, folks. So you can check out Eric's style. What about community engagement? What are you hoping to do? I know, I'm sure it'll evolve organically when you arrive here in Ogden in March. But what excites you about that? Well, I, all the different places I, I go to, I really like to know the history and, and talk to the people and have an engagement with that community. Uh, and, and that brings out the project, I believe. Uh, specific, specifically when you're working with, uh, with a mural. Um, I'm not one of the artists uh, that, that parachutes in and just puts up a mural of, of what I wanted in my own design. I really like to have a, a true investment of the community in, in something that's that's public, that's for the community. So um, I tend to work with youth from the community because I, I want them not only to uh, create something for the community, but also to learn about the community themselves that they live in and participate in and to have some input on what, what they want to see, what they're gonna live with uh, when I create a, a public work. So um, those are the kind of things that I like to, to bring with me, those kind of ideas or, or types of techniques I like to bring when I, when I get asked to come to do a, a public work like that. And, um, and it's, when, when the community is truly invested, I think the project would, works way smoother. I think the public receives the artwork uh, more welcoming and they're, and they're often more uh, uh, prone to protect the artwork for the merit to last uh, throughout the throughout the ages. And that mural will be in the public somewhere. I'm excited to see where that goes, what it ends up being. You'll also culminate your residency with a solo show. So it'll be fun to see what themes you get up to and how Utah influences you. I mean, you're bringing your perspective from outside of Utah, but, you know, Ogden's a railroad town. It has a military influence. Um, a larger population of minorities and people of color. And the Great Salt Lake impacts us all. Anything that's starting to percolate in your brain yet, Eric? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. All of that, all of that. You know, wherever I go, again, I'm, 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 a, I'm a history buff. I love history. And that always leads me uh, into different projects. And when I go to a new place, I want to learn about the history. I want to learn about the place and how it evolved, where what was here before us, uh, who who lives there now, and how is that uh, uh, contrary or or it, or works hand in hand with what was in the past. So I really I really believe that understanding your history, knowing your history, can help you understand the present, and then it makes you enables you to to move forward in a, in a better in a better way. Um, so like you said, uh, the Salt Lakes, you know, the indigenous people who lived there in Utah before, um, uh, the history of the railroads, even this military presence, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an Air Force veteran myself, so I think there's connections that can be made there, even with the growing 
uh, population of, of, of Latinos there. Um, there's all kinds of connections to be made. And, uh, and by sifting through history and, 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 and even the, the present moment of, of the different di dynamics that are there, I think, I don't know, I think there's, there's a plethora of ideas that can be uh, formed from that. Well, Eric, I'm excited to have you come to Utah. And Vanessa, any closing thoughts to folks listening about how they can engage with the artist when the time comes? Yeah, so we'll have some open studio nights. I'm sure we'll have some sort of art talk or meet meet the artist. Um, we're really excited about bringing Eric up to work with our uh, local youth organizations that we partner with. So Youth Impact and Boys and Girls Club will definitely be high up on that list through our Artist Factory program. And yeah, those, those are great ways. So get your kids involved with Boys and Girls Club, get your kids involved with Youth Impact. And they might have a chance to work alongside with Eric. What's the website and socials where people can follow along? So come to OgdenContemporaryArts.org. And then our Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all of the above. <laughs> so uh, check us out and keep an eye on um, what we're doing. And don't worry, we'll, we'll let you all know when Eric's in town and invite the whole community to, to come meet him. Ogden Contemporary Arts, Vanessa Castagnoli, and artist Eric J. Garcia, who will live and create in Ogden for two months this spring, culminating in a summer solo show. Be sure to check tonight's show notes so you can get in touch, follow, and maybe subscribe to the newsletter for Ogden Contemporary Arts so you don't miss a thing with Mr. Garcia. All right, one last conversation before we're done for the evening. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Laura Jones, and coming up at 7, you've got Democracy Now!, followed by Thursday Night Psych Out with DJ Mike at 8, Gianni and the Dirty Boulevard at 10.30. I Don't Sound Like Nobody with Rich at 1 a.m., Jolene's Illustrated Blues at 3, and then John Florence starts your Friday, gets a brand new day going for you at 6. In our Give and Shop local spotlight tonight, a nonprofit that's a watchdog, for you and me. Let's pass the microphone and find out more. Yeah, hello, uh, my name is Eric Peterson. I'm the executive director of the Utah Investigative Journalism Project. A nonprofit in our community doing a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to digging into public record. How many investigations would you say you conducted in that manner this past year, Eric? Oh, I, I actually share this past year. Uh, I think we've, you know, we've done at least, oh, probably over a dozen i know we actually were just calculating how long we've been doing it the past five years um and we've done over like 100 investigations um yeah it's uh ranging from what things to what? go good oh oh you know we've you know looked into everything from kind of like how evictions you know happen in utah how like the deck is stacked against renters uh you know we've looked into some of our candidates for office. Uh, you know, we did a story about, um, you know, the uh, candidate for Salt Lake County clerk and uh, some of his positions on, you know, um, open records, pretty interesting. Um, you know, you know, one of the first stories we did was kind of, you know, doing a big uh, investigation into the company that was, proposing to build a giant landfill on the shores of the Great Salt Lake. So everything you can imagine. Well, and it is the end of the year. This is kind of one of our give local spotlights is what I'm calling it, Eric, a nonprofit that does something that can be feel quite intangible 
in the community. But I wanted to focus on evictions because back in November, Crossroads Urban Center did its annual turkey dinner giveaway. It's got its December one coming up for Christmas. And you partnered with them and Harmons to place an eviction expungement guide in the bags with folks receiving food. Why was that? Well, it was, um, you know, it was as part of this kind of project, you know, we've, we've been looking at evictions for a long time now. It's been a couple of years. And earlier in the fall, um, you know, I decided to kind of create a guide. It was an article originally in the Salt Lake City Weekly that just, you know, just tried to explain things crystal clear for people to take advantage of this new law. There's this new law that allows you, if you've got an eviction on your record, you know, um, you can, you know, file some paperwork, take the necessary steps, and you can get that taken off of your record if it was a long time ago and you paid the debt off. Uh, a lot of people don't have the resources to, like, you know, ordinarily hire a lawyer to, like, go clear their record. Um, and so this new law really allows people to, you know, get a clean slate. But, you know, there's hoops you have to jump through. It's not simple. And so made like a, an, an explainer guide on it. We did it in English and Spanish. I was really proud of that. And, you know, I had um, I was bringing some copies of the paper to Crossroads Urban Center. and I was talking to him about it. And, you know, uh, they kind of looked at it and they said, you know, this is great. I wish we could kind of get this condense down a little bit and then we could like hand it out to these needy families at this this you know holiday uh, turkey giveaway and so we kind of worked with them and figured out a way to you know really condense it down to like a you know one sheet you know fronts english the back spanish and um and they were able to include it in the you know the holiday turkeys that they gave away like over three thousand you know people lined up um you know and, you know, a lot of these folks are, are in need. And so, you know, we figured a lot of them probably could take advantage of this resource, you know, might be something they could use to help clear up an old eviction on their record and, you know, put them on a path to, you know, more sustainable housing. Yeah. And as you reported, most renters, they face eviction because they can't pay rent. So they also certainly can't afford an attorney. So this resource is crucial in our community where there's a housing crisis, a lack of affordable housing. You've now extended that even further with a website. Yeah. Yeah. We have this uh, website, evictedinutah.com. And, um, you know, we just updated that to include kind of the expungement guide on it. Um, But, you know, this kind of like going along the same you know, uh, line of thought there that it's it's useful to like help people understand some of these complicated, you know, legal uh, procedures. You know, like it's it's really about translating the legalese, you know, in, into plain English or you know plain Spanish to um, the evicted in Utah dot com. You know, it's a site where you can go and you can you can really kind of quickly learn, you know, like what your rights are. Uh, but not just for evictions and understanding, you know, if a, an eviction you're facing is legal, you could also find out, you know, is my landlord discriminating against me? You know, uh, is there a concern about, you know, if if the landlord isn't fixing something, you know, what are they required to fix? You know, if they won't do it, is there somewhere I can complain? You know, so we like, we provide resources, you know, you can complain to a health department, you can reach out to, you know, legal advocates that help out renters, um, you know, other housing advocates. Um, so we try to like collect a lot of different resources in that website and make it very simple and easy to understand so that, 
you know, like you can't afford a lawyer, you can at least kind of get a crash course and understand, you know, what your rights are and, you know, if you need more help, where to go. One of your other stories from this month reported in collaboration with the Salt Lake Tribune is about the worker shortage at Utah's new prison and that's put it in crisis. Can you summarize for us what's going on out there and what was the public record that helped you get at the story? You know, that was uh, written by one of our contributors and board members, Dan Harry, uh, a really incredible kind of piece of work uh, there. You know, he reviewed kind of years of like legislative testimony where Corrections was telling lawmakers about the new prison and how they had this kind of, you know, this ambitious plan that they're going to adopt a new model that would require less staff um, and and, and that, you know, I think was appealing to lawmakers at the time, thinking that's going to help, you know, with the budget of this this very expensive, you know, over a billion dollar new prison. Um, but, you know, Dan was able to make a lot of connections with, you know, corrections officials, you know, talked to a lot of them, you know, who are, you know, had to speak anonymously for fear of losing their jobs and, you know, kind of got a real sense of just how what incredible pressure they're being put under the officers that are working there. It's mandatory overtime. You know, some of them are just working incredible hours, you know, uh, in, in a really stressful situation. It's not a job where, you know, like if you doze off a little bit, um, you know, y- y- that you can just kind of shake that off, you know, like there are consequences when you are having to oversee a lot of people, sometimes very dangerous people, you know, and you have no sleep uh, going into your, your shift. Yeah, as Dan reported, the Utah Investigative Journalism Project reviewed committee testimony for five years and found that it wasn't until January of this year that's just about to wrap up that corrections spelled out the new prison's need for more officers, 208 more to be exact. And this is the yeah. kind of work that the uh, Utah Investigative Journalism Project does as a nonprofit um, and partnering with, you know, our, our paper of record, the Salt Lake Tribune, to get the word out to folks, to voters, to lawmakers that, hey, the public has got an eye on it. So this is what the crucial work is that your project does. And you're in a year-end fundraiser and a match is going mm-hmm. on. Tell folks about that and what they support. Yeah, we are uh, lucky to be a part of Newsmatch, and that's a, a big foundation that you know matches donations um, to nonprofit newsrooms like the Utah Investigative Journalism Project. And you know, we've also got extra. You know, we're trying to you know hit hit more fundraising goals this year. Um, but the Newsmatch is matching up to fifteen thousand. Um, you know, and for a little scrappy watchdog. Uh, like us, that's that's a that's a big deal, and it helps out a lot. And it's a good incentive for people to donate because they really can double the impact of their donation. But really, what you are investing in, you know, when you make a donation to the Utah Investigative Journalism Project, is really the most important news. If I can say that, you know, I I, I feel passionately that you know, investigative work is it can be the riskiest, the most difficult type of journalism, um, you know, and it's it's also kind of journalism that's getting more, you know, more and more rare these days to see. And so, you know, when you support that type of journalism, it's it's journalism that makes an impact, you know, it gives a voice to the voiceless, um, you know, it, it makes a difference in the community. So every dollar you can donate to us, um, you know, makes an incredible difference as well. 
And I'm guessing you're gearing up for the 2023 general session of the Utah legislature and what bills may affect those things you've reported on this past year, or actually over the course of your your five years as a nonprofit and the hundreds of investigations to see, A, if they pay attention to the real data you've brought to the community and B, how that impacts issues like prison staffing, not to mention the mosquito situation out there and evictions, given that your eviction story really dealt with a particular lawmaker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a big focus of that investigation was uh, Senator Kirk Colomore because his uh, law firm that, you know, he's, uh, you know, a principal of and that his father founded, you know, um, you know, does about half the evictions in the state. And so, you know, they're very invested in evictions and, you know, up at the Hill, you know, they're very invested in crafting legislation that benefits landlords and you know they're very open about it so that has been you know uh, a strong focus and a lot of our reporting is looking at that kind of interplay when you have a lawmaker who's also a lawyer and you know um, sees a lot of uh, potential benefits to uh, legislation that helps his clients so in closing here eric what's your christmas wish my Christmas wish is that, uh, you know, um, my Christmas wish is that, you know, I, I hope that all of us that, you know, are are, are uh, struggling and slogging through our year-end fundraising, that, you know, we get a lot of support from the folks that can support us. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sure that goes for you guys as well, you know, like investing in media, investigative journalism, community radio, everyone. You know, like you are investing, you know, in just improving your community in, in so many different ways. And, you know, my Christmas wish is you do so and, you know, you keep reading, you keep listening and you keep, you know, supporting local media because it's it's your community. And what's the website? UtahInvestigative.org. Eric Peterson of the Utah Investigative Journalism Project and also on the board with the Society of professional journalists, the Utah Headliners chapter, and this program named the best public affairs program in Utah by that organization earlier this year. Eric, thanks to you and all your folks for doing what you do. Check tonight's show notes for a link. And that is Radioactive. Tomorrow night, it's Punk Rock Farmer Friday, our last live band of the year with Racist Kramer and their annual Friendsmas that's going on. Plus, the first annual Utah Flower Conference, Skywatcher Leo T, and more. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for listening to Radioactive. Questions, comments, suggestions? All you got to do is email me, radioactive at krcl.org. I've got some time here, so bonus music round from Radioactive. Since we were just talking to Eric Peterson from the Utah Investigative Journalism Project, I'm going out with some Joe Jackson. It's the Sunday Papers on KRCL. Thanks for listening, and have a great night. KRCL, Salt Lake City. The Uprock and Art Space Bridge Project Christmas Drive is collecting donations for the Road Home Family Shelter through December 22nd. Items needed include towels, hygiene items, baby wipes, bottles, adult underwear, detergent, twin-sized sheets, can openers, and kitchen and bathroom basics. Drop-off locations include Art Space Bridge Project, Uprock, and KRCL.